The Courage to Lead, episode 98. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Uh, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Devin Miller. Devin Miller loves startups. He runs his own patent and trademark law firm to help startups and small businesses. Devin is also a serial entrepreneur who founded his first startup while earning his law and MBA degrees. Since then, he's founded several seven and eight figure startups and enjoyed every minute of it. Devin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and excited to chat for a bit. Absolutely. Where are you calling from? Where are you at? Yeah, so I am from, uh, or I'm located uh, in Utah, just uh, north of Salt Lake City. And I grew up in a small town. It's called Morgan. It's kind of by Park City, if you know Utah at all. Nice. Um, but yeah, just kind of north, uh, north, northern Utah. Beautiful area. Yeah, gorgeous up there. All right. Well, Devin, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, all the different startups uh, that you have and, and working with startups, what you found, how you help them. And, uh, but before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I ask every one of my guests. These are questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from television, stage, and movies. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Devin, if you're ready, 10 questions, sir. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Um, Perseverance. I'll go with that. Perseverance. Excellent. What is your least favorite word? Uh, I'll go with the opposite, which is surrender. So perseverance (laughs) favorite, surrender is least favorite or failure, but we'll go with surrender. Okay. What turns you on? Um, In my intro, startup small, aside from family, which definitely is, is my focus, startups and small businesses really gets me excited. Nice. What turns you off? People that talk too much. <laughs> That's probably as good as there's good answers I could give. Absolutely. No, good one. Um, what sound or noise do you love? I like, there's a few, but I, I like the, if it's raining outside and it's kind of that, you know, not a storm, not a drizzle, but kind of that in the middle where it's just a nice kind of pelting of the outside and just makes us, everything sound like it's uh, getting washed clean. That's, that's nice. the noise I like. Very cool. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? Oh, that one's a, that one's hard to narrow it down to one. I'll go with a baby crying in the middle of the night. <laughs> okay. Excellent. All right. Uh, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? So I don't curse, but I'll give the curse word replacement, which is, it is one that our family uses, which is a funny one. So it's fart knocker, which is the one we always use as a, as a replacement for when we're, when anybody in our family would otherwise say a, a curse word. Nice. Love it. All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You know, I'd probably go with a food truck person or a food truck owner or whatever you want to call it. I always think that sounds fun. Okay. No, that's awesome. Any particular type of food? Uh, I'd probably go with dessert. It'd be some sort of dessert food truck, but I mean, don't make me choose which dessert. That's too hard. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? I'll go with a porta potty emptier. That one, I oh. just don't have any desire. No. Not at all. All right. Finally, if heaven exists, 
what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Um, welcome home. You made it. Probably as, as long as it's something to t- tell me that I, I get to go into heaven, <laughs> I'm good to go. Exactly. Anything short of that would be uh, concerning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Very cool. All right, Devin, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start. We're going to talk about all your different startups and now how you're using that knowledge and your degrees to help other startups and small businesses. All right. Absolutely. Listeners, we'll be back right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Devin Miller. Devin, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Thanks for calling in from uh, the lovely state of Utah. Love it out there. Um, so let's talk about how you got started. Um, you said you founded your first startup while you're getting your degrees. Tell me about right. that. Yeah. So I would say it's my first, I'm sure I had, I was a kid that always kind of loved the ideas and kind of always thought it'd be fun, but you know, I, I don't count any of those as real businesses. They are probably just a, a pity business where parents or friends or family would donate money to do something. But my first real business. So I, the backing of just a tiny bit, um, undergraduate did electrical engineering Chinese. So I got a, a dual degrees, came out of a undergraduate and saying, you know, I like being an engineer, but I don't, or I like engineering, but I don't really want to be an engineer. So what do I want to do when I grow up? In the sense that I liked engineering, but I didn't want to be at a company that was, you had to work for 10, 20 years, work your way up. You're a small cog in a big wheel. And so yeah. I was kind of coming out and saying, what do I want to do? And so love startups, love small businesses. I also thought the law was, or law was really interesting. So I went off and did a, a dual, another dual degree, got an MBA degree and a law degree. Wow. So I was, uh, I think I was in the, so Dual degree takes uh, four years. If you do them separately, it takes five years. When you combine them together, you get a shave off a year. So I was doing that and I was in my third year of the four-year program and give you kind of context at the time. So at the time I was doing the law degree, just doing the MBA degree, had a two-year-old, had a newborn and was working 20 hours as a law clerk um, and was doing all that. And amongst all that, and I can't remember if it was a flyer or as an email. So one, one detail I just never can quite remember, but it was one of those are saying, hey, there's a business competition. It's a multidisciplinary business competition where nobody knows each other. You all come to the meeting and you form your form groups and you get going. You know, you come up with an idea, you enter the business competition. So I said, oh, don't have enough to do. Why not? Let's go and add that to my plate. So. <laughs> Uh, I went and at or went to the the meeting, formed a group, didn't know anybody there, but we uh, we came up with an idea, entered it in the first uh, first year of the competition. It was to make gym bags less smelly. It was kind of a fun idea. Never really would have gone anywhere with the business, but it was kind of fun. But we parted ways, or we took second place, and we parted ways. Next year came along, so now we're at all at a senior level, and we're saying, hey, last year was fun. We earned a little bit of money. We took second place. Why don't we do it again? So. We got together and we said, oh, you know, uh, do we want to do the last year's kind of continue? No, that wasn't great. What other ideas? We had some dumb ideas like self-packing boxes and other things that 
really would never work. But I remember walking home and kind of after a brainstorming uh, session, and it was one where I was, you know, thinking kind of what could we do? And that time I just got into marathon running and said, you know, and one of the things I didn't do well with the first marathon I did, didn't hydrate very well, made it more painful, didn't do as well. So I said, wouldn't it be cool if you could have a watch that would tell you your hydration level? Now, this was before Fitbit had come out. Apple Watch wasn't a thing. None of those are out yet. But I'm like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be nice. And, and so that was the idea that started with the business competition. We uh, went or had the idea, pitched it to the group. They liked it. So started to kind of develop it. Over Christmas, went home with my uh, dad's also an electrical engineer. We built up the first prototype over Christmas break. Um, came back, entered in the business competition, took second place again, which I'm bittersweet because I think we should have taken first. <laughs> but um, at the end of all of that, all of us were going different places. And I said, you know, I think this is an actual business. It can go somewhere. It has more legs to it. So hey, how about this? I'll buy you guys all out. Buy out your position. I'll have, just have 100% ownership, which is what I did. And that's kind of from there, started the business brought on a couple people that I knew and trusted that were talented. We all did it kind of sweat equity to begin with, brought on an investor. Um, from that investor, we got to, we're starting to test it with some college teams, some NFL teams. We're getting to the, basically the point where we needed to do the next round of investment, getting along. And about that time, part of the getting, bringing people on or trying to get that next round of investment um, came across somebody that uh, was doing diabetes monitoring. Now they were doing it more as a service, not necessarily technology, but a lot of our technology we were developing fit very well with that. And so we actually merged the two companies together, still going today. They're uh, their soft launch. They'll be doing a full launch uh, beginning of next year. And that's where the first business went. So that was a much longer story to a shorter question, but that was the first business and it's still around today. And I still love it. That is awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, coming out of brainstorming sessions, it, I'm always amazed at what comes out of that. You have a good idea. Somebody else feeds off that. Somebody else adds something to it. Next thing you know, you've got this big snowball of an idea. That is awesome. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of one where, you know, my original thought was, well, it could be kind of useful for athletes or runners and that. And then we got into, well, it could be useful for military applications. Mm -hmm. It could be useful for elderly people that oftentimes have like urinary tract infections, which are caused by dehydration. And you could go to the healthcare and all of those things. But it was really just kind of, idea, well, it'd be nice if my last marathon, if I'd had a watch that I could have seen that I was getting dehydrated, so I'd have <laughs> hydrated better. And that's kind of where it all started. Nice. Very cool. So that was the start but you've had other uh, businesses, right? Yeah. So then uh, several other businesses continued. Some of them have come and gone and, uh, you know, they run their course and others are still actively involved with. So I've done a small religious product. So um, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also nicknamed Mormons. Um, so one of the, I just started a small family business. It doesn't make a ton of money, but I get to hire all my kids. They get to learn how to work and they get to have a job that I don't just scare. They get to learn all the, how to run a business and be a part of it. So that one's one that I've done. Um, it's called Custom LDS. It's just for religious products. It's okay. just a small family run business. Um, done a product development firm. So, done, and that's still actively going, help uh, people develop products or get them off the ground, start to test them. We don't go into the marketplace for them, but we help them kind of get from the idea to the prototype to kind of a reasonably finished product. Um, that one's still going. Have a content uh, creation business that we've soft launched and we'll probably hit more onto it at the beginning of next year. And then um, have a white label DIY legal services product, which kind of spurred from my own law firm 
that one's a soft launch. We're getting going. We're still finishing it up. So I think we're, I'd say we're in beta testing. Um, and then obviously my law firm, which is a, is a, what I love and enjoy. So that's wow. most of the businesses, I think. <laughs> wow. But there's still two minutes not accounted for in your day. What are you doing during those two minutes? Holy cow. <laughs> hey, I and, mean, by, and also, I also run nine, nine miles, nine and a half miles in the morning each day. So I love, I still wow. love to run. So do all that have four kids. They have all their sports. And so I, I very seldom have other than if I'm not sleeping, I'm usually doing something. Wow. Well, just starting off with the small family, the double degrees, the, the everything. Holy Toledo. That's a lot. Have you always been that ambitious? And where did that come from? You know, it, it sounds more ambitious than a really, it, it's not like I intended, oh, I've got to go take on the world or do lots of businesses. It was this kind of following more of things that I enjoyed and were passionate about. So, you know, family was always important to me. So got married, had the family, dedicated a lot of time to them, loved spending time with them. And we have a lot of projects. This summer, me and my kid or my son built a bunny hutch that was like the Taj Mahal of bunny hutches. It was way overkill. We had a great time doing it, but it was kind of always more of, I just have things that I get excited or passionate about. And then my mind takes to tends to wander towards how can I do this as a business or where if I'm having to solve this problem or figure it out, other people are likely to have to have to solve this problem, figure out if I'm going to do all this work to figure it out for myself, why not turn it in, into a business? And that's usually where a lot of these tend to, to gen, or, or come from. Very cool. Um, so law school, how did you decide? I mean, there's so many different areas of law you could have gone into. How did you decide on the intellectual property stuff? Yeah. So mentioned coming out of an engineering school um, was saying, what do I want to be when I grow up? And kind of had those crosswords of, hey, I could go do kind of more of an entrepreneur, go get an MBA, or I could do the legal and, you know, legal. And I kind of knew, I said, if I were to do the legal, it'd be more in the technology, intellectual property, because again, it lets me do startups, small businesses, kind of work with that, leverage the engineering degree. And so that was kind of the point where I said, oh, well, I could do one or the other. And I said, well, rather than choose one or the other pass, I'll just go right down the middle and do both. Um, so that's where I or where I did the dual degree. But, you know, law school was always kind of I, I went in knowing I want to do intellectual property. So I figured I said, hey, you know, I get to work with a lot of cool. T- you know, I, I have first of all, to be a, a patent attorney, you have to have a technical undergraduate. So. Yay, we get to take rather than just a normal one bar that every attorney takes, we get to take two bars. So you have wow. to take one that's a patent bar, one that's a state bar. And so going in, I said, okay, I'd love to leverage my engineering background, still want to work with a lot of startups and small businesses, want to be able to see a lot of cool inventions. Patent attorney or intellectual property attorney fits really well with that. So I kind of go in into law school saying, I want to do startups, want to do small businesses. I want to leverage my engineering. And that was a really good fit. And so that's kind of where I decided, hey, I'll go down that path. Nice. But intellectual property covers a lot more than just patents, right? It does. Yeah. So it it covers, usually when you hear the term intellectual property, there are kind of three things that it tends to cover, which are patents, trademarks, copyrights. Now, for all, or for most people out there, if you would ask my wife, and she's been married to me for 14 years, and she still doesn't probably know the difference between it very well. But as a really quick refresher, patents are for inventions. Does something, has a functionality, um, you know, has that kind of a device, an apparatus, software, hardware, uh, mechanical, or something of that nature. Trademarks are for brands. Anything to do with brands, so name of a company, name of a business, a logo, catchphrase, anything to do with your brands is going to be under trademarks. Copyrights are going to be more for creatives. So if you were to think of picture, sculpture, painting, a photo, a podcast, a book, a video, a TV show, all those are creative, all those are copyright. So 
do intellectual property, do all of those, but those are kind of the three main categories that you typically fall under with intellectual property. Nice. So you mentioned podcast. Do I need to have a, a copyright on my podcast? So that, that's a good question. I, I get, when I've been on a podcast, it comes up a lot. <laughs> so here's my can't, not my really my can't answer, but here's the answer. It depends. So there, if you, let's say you had a podcast and it is applicable to other things, there are kind of two ways that you could protect a podcast. One is the brand. In other words, the name of the podcast, the, hey, we put on good quality content, but you come to us because you know it's the name and you trust. Give you an example. Me and my son love to listen to podcasts. It's called Business Wars. It's a big podcast. Where it's head-to-head competitions between two businesses and me, or we love to listen to it. Now, any given episode, I don't know that I care about the given episode. It's more of the overall, hey, when I go to listen to this, they're going to have good stories and podcasts or they're going to have good episodes. So there's a brand aspect to it of, hey, Business Wars is a brand of the podcast, and that's how you protect the brand. Now, copyrights fall under more of, if you have a, let's say you had a very valuable episode. So let's say, I'll make up the example. Normally you had 10,000 downloads per episode, but one episode you had 5 million downloads, just blew it out, you know, went viral and everybody else. Well, that one episode is probably much more valuable. And so now you're going to probably go to look to copyright it. And it's kind of the same thing if you have a viral video. Let's say you put out a lot of content. Most videos get a few hundred views, a few thousand views. It doesn't make sense to copyright it. It doesn't have enough value. But if you have a a viral video, you know, the the shark song or whatever you want to say that has millions or billions of views, that has a lot of value to it. Then you're going to want to copyright. So when you get into podcasts, it depends on is any given episode valuable enough, then yes, you copyright it. If it's more of the brand, then you go more with the trademarks. Very cool. Very cool. And I mean, that's fodder for a whole whole podcast episode, I'm sure, just talking about that. Um, when you're working with small businesses, mm-hmm. how soon do they engage um, a law firm? And it, is it something that they they do wrong? Should they engage you earlier or later? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, it is it, backing the way, you know, you have a, you're talking with a good attorney is the answer is always, it depends. Yes. And it really does depend, but yes. I'll give you a few kind of guidelines because saying, well, it depends. I mean, every situation doesn't help you at all to know or when to make a decision. So yes, people start too early. Yes. People start too late. You're always better to start too early and go to an attorney and have them say, Hey, you're too early on. Um, and because usually what happens, most people start too late. If you start too early, let's say you come into a good attorney, they're going to sit down and say, hey, you're probably a bit too early on, but here's what you should be thinking down the road. Six months when you hit this milestone, you should probably be thinking, I need a trademark or I need a copyright or whatever it is. So that's always easier if you early on, go get a strategy meeting, talk to an attorney. The problem with a lot of times when they go too late, and then I'll tell you how to mm-hmm. gauge that, but too late there are a lot of times there are things in the law that preclude you from being able to get a patent or a trademark or copyright if you oh. wait too long. Gotcha. Give you an example. It's an easy one of patents. Patents, if you put any, so let's say you create the world's next best iPhone. It's an awesome, just going to revolutionize, revolutionize, take to the next step. And you come out and you say, okay, we, we spent it, we developed it, we put it out in the marketplace. And, you know, your startup, your small business don't have a lot of money. And you, you know, you wait a couple of years, you been selling and say, okay, hey, we finally got some customer base. We've got some traction. We should probably go get a patent on this. It's probably valuable and we should worthwhile to protect. Then you come into an, a patent attorney's office and say, hey, we've been out, you know, we've been out in the, or the marketplace for a couple of years. We want to get a patent. Then the patent attorney is going to say, well, that's great. You have a good business. Unfortunately, you can't get a patent because there's a one-year time clock from the first mm. time you put anything out in the public. 
put down in a presentation, take on investor dollars, you start to sell it, you do trade shows. Anytime it goes out in the public, you have a one-year time clock ticking within which you can file a patent on. You miss a window, you just donated that technology to the public. So those are the kind of things that if you wait too long, those are much more, if you get too early, it's easier to deal with. You get too long, you have much more potentially negative repercussions where you're either going to spend a whole lot of time, money, and effort to get it if you can, and sometimes you just can't. So there, and there are ways that you start to address that, but it, it's much easier to do it. Now, yeah. as a general rule, which is a hard to make a general rule because there's a lot of circumstances, <laughs> but the kind of guidelines I always give is if you're a startup and small business and you're saying, when should I get starting? If you're getting to the point in the business where somebody were to come along, whether it's patents, trademarks, copyrights, brands, or inventions, or creatives, and they were to copy your copy what you're doing, and it would have an ouch factor. In other words, you're saying, hey, if somebody comes along and copies my brand, that's going to hurt my business. Now we're going to not have as many customers and anything else. Then you're probably going to then you're getting to the point you probably need a trademark. On the other hand, saying, yeah, if somebody comes along, copies my our brand, and worst case scenario, we had to rebrand, and not a big deal. We don't have invested that much. We haven't done much marketing. We don't have much for reputation then you're probably early enough on that you can wait a bit. So it's kind of when you're getting or approaching that point where it's going to negatively impact your business, going to have that kind of ouch factor, then you're going to want to make sure you start to get protection there. Wow. Yeah, because if you get out too early and you introduce something into the market, somebody could easily draw what you just did and copyright it themselves, right? Or patent it themselves. Yeah, I mean, to a degree. Now, there are some things inherently in the law that... Theoretically, if, you, if you're the first to create it, you have some protections. In reality, you still have to go out and enforce it. And if you're too early and you expose it too quickly, in reality base, it's going to be difficult and it can leave you exposed. So there is that balancing. And usually I say balance it with get advice earlier on, get a strategy. That's what I, I look often to say is get a strategy in place. Know when you should be thinking about things, what you should be budgeting, what are the drop dead deadlines that you need to do it by and then start to work backwards and say, where am I at today? And then let's plan that into our milestone. So we may not have the budget or we may be too early on today, but if you at least know what you're in for, it makes it so you can plan for it and you make sure you don't miss anything. If you wait too long, it's it's a much worse situation. Right. So it's always better to do it a little early and yeah. not need it, right? Talk to somebody well in advance to get yeah, that out. Absolutely. Right. Very cool. And so, uh, what types of businesses are you working with right now? Are they mainly patents, mainly new inventions, or is it a combination of things? So mainly it's going to be startups and small businesses. That's why, so I worked when I came out on undergraduate, I worked for AM law, top 100 law firm, Silicon Valley firm for about six, six and a half years. Um, I decided about three, three and a half years ago, I wanted to start my own firm. And it was really because I wanted to focus on startups and small businesses. And those are the clients that I love and enjoy. And they're really fun. And you get to have a lot more impact. And you got to kind of see a lot of cool things are developing. So we focus a ton on startups and small businesses. Now, we have a few mid-sized clients that are a little bit bigger. Love them as well. They're great clients. Nothing against them. But when I said of the firm, it was really, hey, we're going to focus on startups and small businesses to provide the same level of service I did when I was had clients like Amazon and Intel and Red Hat and Ford and others. And so that's where we focus now. Between that, we primarily split between patents and trademarks. We do copyrights, copyrights, unless the issue, not issue with copyrights, but the main reason most attorneys don't focus much on copyrights isn't because they're not important, but because a lot, it's not as prevalent within the industry. Unless you're in LA and you're doing a lot of videos or you're doing movies or you're writing books, then you're going to have those. But as a consistent, most businesses, 
they they have less things to copyright because they're not doing as much creative. They're doing a ton of branding, they're doing a ton of development. And so we tend to focus more on patents and trademarks. Now we still do copyrights, love to do them, they're fun. Um, but that's if you're to kind of break it down, we love or a lot of what we do is on patents and trademarks. Nice. But then the the startups and the small businesses, a lot of times they don't have a lot of money. What you mean when you're starting a small business, you don't just have millions of dollars flowing from the sky. And when you have I a good didn't, idea, I'll tell you that. No. Your money? <laughs> no, I I always you know I always say that startups and small businesses have more things to spend money on than money to spend. And so, and I think that's a truism. And I definitely get it. I've done it. I've done the startups, small businesses, and you're always you know when you have a you're always cash strapped. And you're saying, okay, do I do payroll this week? Do I do marketing? Do I do sales? Do I pay the rent? Or do I do intellectual property, the legal? And, you know, and all of them need it, all need to be done. So where do you put the money? And so definitely get that crunch. You know, when I started uh, Miller IP Law, we set it up a few things that were beneficial to startups and small businesses. So one is we moved everything, almost everything. There's a couple small things, but almost everything is a flat fee. Transparent, you know what it's going to cost, you know what to budget for. Another thing we set up was to do um, payment plans. So you can spread out the costs over four equal payments over four months, helps you to, or to split that up a bit and, and afford it a bit more. Another thing that we did is, you know, we do free strategy meetings. We or we come in, have people sit down, talk through. You don't have to pay a dime. Um, you can just see where you're at, get a strategy for your business, and it's helpful. Um, and so a lot of those things we started to set up really to be advantageous for startups and small businesses. One of the things we've done more recently, and it's kind of what I mentioned, is one of the businesses we're, we're spinning off a bit, is we also uh, rolled out DIY legal products. Now, I think that le attorneys, and I am an attorney and bias answers, attorneys are going to do better answers than our DIY legal products. It's just they have more experience, sure. know what they're doing. But I also felt like, you know, for those startups and small businesses where typically in the legal industry, you have two options. Either you go hire an attorney and if you can't afford them, then you try and go online and figure it out yourself. And usually you don't know what you're doing. And most of the time you mess it up more than if you just hadn't done anything at all. <laughs> and so it felt like there was a big gap and there wasn't really anything to do that. So that was kind of where we started to say, hey, we offer DIY legal options. It gives a video walkthrough, walks you through what you need to do and how you should do it. It gives us an option that you can have an attorney review it for an hour or file it on your behalf. But it kind of gives that bridging the gap of saying, hey, if you're in the spot where you can't afford an attorney, but you need something, it's not as good as an attorney, but it gives you kind of, it gives you started, gets you something in place and helps you along to get your journey started. So we're trying to look at as many different paths and options to be helpful to start up small businesses, because definitely understand you don't have an unlimited fund when you're a startup. Absolutely. So those things like non-disclosure agreements, things like that, that you can just kind of fill out, sign and... Yeah, so we have legal or DIY legal services, everything from an NDA or non-disclosure agreement. It can be a, a provisional patent application, trademark, copyright. Um, we do uh, employment agreements for assigning intellectual property. We'll do website takedowns if somebody's copying your website or otherwise infringing your copyright. Same thing with social media takedowns. So a lot of things to do with business. Um, we, you know, LLC formations, business formations, we do that as well. But a lot of those are set up to do say, hey, we can get you a good amount of the way. If you need something custom, you need an attorney to do it, and then go hire an attorney to do it. But a lot of them, they're saying 90 for 80, 90% of people, they have what they need that can fit in a reasonable box. Let's offer that box and do it at a, at a price point that they can afford. Right. Very cool. Now, years ago, and I don't know, it was, it was, 
I don't want to call it common knowledge, but it was out there that if you had an idea, you could draw it out, write it out, whatever you want to do, put it in an envelope and mail it to yourself. And <laughs> don't, since don't it went, it. okay, that that would cover you because the U.S. government agreed that this came into a seal that is now delivered to you sealed. And you could say, I am kind of covered now. You're saying that's not true. All those designs if, that I came I up with as a kid. Take, it is a myth that <laughs> goes across the internet. First of all, don't do it. It doesn't give you, I guess if you have absolutely nothing else, maybe it's better than nothing, but not by much. <laughs> so where it started in backing up. So about 2013, prior to that, the U.S. was a first to invent country. It was one of the few countries that were still under a first to invent, meaning it wasn't when you filed your application is when you could prove inventors. Yeah, yeah, okay. So there now, just because you can do it, self-addressed mailing yourself an envelope still had a ton of issues with it, but there was some foundation for you could do it and you could give yourself a date by which you did it. Now, doesn't mean you, there wasn't there a lot of problem problems ever actually trying to enforce it. After 2013, that completely went away. So U.S. is a, joined the rest, almost the rest of the world and moved to a first to a file system. First to file system means Whoever, even if you came up with the first, if you kept it to yourself, never filed on it, you know, put it in an envelope, sent it to yourself, but never did anything with it. And somebody else comes along, files on it first, they own, they own the invention. So, so you don't want to, it still seems to be, even after not, oh, you know, coming up on multiple, first of all, it's a bad idea to begin with, but now even more so it, it still kind of gets kicked around the internet. You still see, even I see it in chat rooms or Facebook groups or, or LinkedIn or anything else. People say, oh, just do a self-addressed uh, stamp to yourself. Write it down, put it in an envelope. And it's like, you can do that if you have absolutely, if you only have enough money to do a stamp, <laughs> sure, that's better than nothing. But that's about as much as it's worth as a stamp you put it on. So no, the, the short answer is, is because it's a first to invent system, or sorry, first to file system, whoever files on an invention first, whoever files a patent first is a presumptive owner. And just because you self or setting yourself a self-addressed uh, uh, envelope doesn't do you any good. The file. So that, that's where the industrial espionage things come into play. You don't want anybody to know what you're doing. You want to engage an attorney as quickly as possible. Get that covered before you really start developing and putting things out. Yeah. And that's a lot of times, you know, now it, it's a balance. I said, if, if you only have so much money, First of all, get your business to where it can actually make money. If it never makes money, having a patent does you zero good because you'll have a patent and no business never makes money. And you can have this piece of paper that says, hey, I invented something, but you never made any money from it. So if you have to choose, then yes, get your business up and going, get sales, make sure that that's taken care of. But shortly behind that, you should have a patent. If you're inventing something, creating something new, if you're investing a lot of time, money and effort, getting up, bringing on investors, then you're going to want to have that patent on earlier in place. And a lot of times it comes up with, hey, I'm going to manufacture. I don't know which manufacturer to, or to trust. And hey, I'm exposing all the details of my invention. And if they take it and copy it, what recourse do I have? If you don't have anything covered, and I've even seen scenarios where manufacturers will go out and file a patent for people. Now, they're not good manufacturers, but they'll have them come in, they'll file a patent themselves, and then they'll come back and say, hey, just so you know, we filed a patent for you because we wanted to make sure you're covered. Now you only have to pay us $30,000 to get the patent. And it's like, wow. Yeah, it's yeah. So it's kind of those things. The more you expose it out to the public, the more you increase the risk of people knowing about it. 
the more higher risk profile you have, the more you'd want to be incentivized to get that patent filed so that you have that date of invention, your patent pending, and you can show that you're the first to invent it. Nice. So if you have any questions at all, engage an attorney. Talk to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good job. Um, are you limited to where you can practice or are you available to practice anywhere in the U.S.? Yeah. So that's a nice thing with intellectual property. It's on the federal level. So um, we practice in all 50 states. We also help. We don't practice in other countries. We help other countries. We'll often do a lot of the work. And then we have attorneys that are in, located in each of those different countries. They'll be the boots on the ground to do the work. But no, nice thing with intellectual property. We do it in all 50 states. We have more clients outside of Utah than inside of Utah. Everything from California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, Alaska, New York, New Jersey, Colorado. I mean, all of the states. And so it makes it nice. And we were doing, we were set up to do virtual and do Zoom well before COVID, before it was cool. And so um, we were set up really to, I put in an exorbitant, probably more time than anybody really should, but I put in a ton of time when I set up the firm to say, we're focusing on startups and small businesses. We're making this as easy as possible. We can address it or we can help anybody in any of the 50 states. So we set up a system that makes it very easy, no matter where you're located, to get you taken care of. Very cool. But now if I have a product and I get it patented here in the U.S., do I have to patent it in Europe before I sell in Europe? Or do the patents here cover so you never technically have to get a patent before you sell. So you could always technically go into Europe, just not have a patent, let anybody else come along, compete with the idea, copy it, and, and try and compete on the marketplace. But if you're wanting to have that protection, yeah, exclusivity, then it is going to be each country you have to get a patent or a trademark or, or a copyright. They all three work the same. You have to get it for each country specific. Um, now, the question that oftentimes will get clients come in the office say, well, this is going to be a worldwide phenomenon. It's going to sell everywhere. And it's worth this. We want to file in every country possible. First of all, that gets incredibly expensive. Even the biggest companies that I used to work for or had as clients as Intel and Amazon and others, they did not file in every single country possible because it's just too expensive and the return right. isn't worth it. What is worth it is you take and say, where's our customer base? If, if 90, uh, give me an example. I have a, a medical device company that I, I do or, or intellectual property work for. U.S. by far, bar none, spends more on medical care, medical devices, medical development than any other country out there. And so their marketplace, 90 plus percent of it is in the U.S. They looked at it and said, we would be better to invest more in getting better coverage on patents in the U.S. and not worry about those other countries. We may still go into those other countries. In that case, we'll just operate without a patent. We'll just compete on the market stage because so much of our customer base is in the U.S. That's where we want to invest on have another company that I would do work with that they have a pretty split market. They have about 50% in the US, about 40% in the EU, and then 10% in the rest of the world. And so they're saying, no, we have enough business in the US and in Europe that we're going to want to have coverage on both. And so they got patents and coverage on both of them. So it kind of is more of where are you going to sell? Where's your customer base? And then you're going to want to have protection in each of those countries. And you do have to go through the process separately for each yeah. country. But if you're not protected, couldn't somebody in one of those other countries take your item, you know, reverse engineer it and, and kind of create their own? Yeah. In those countries. Now, if it's, give me an example, let's, because one of the uh, worries that people have is, Hey, I'm going to go to China. I'm going to get, go, or get going with manufacturing. Should I get a patent in China? And the, typically the answer is no, you don't need to get a patent in China. Now, the reason is, is because you're going to China if you're getting manufacturing, but all of your customer base is in the US and you're just going there for lower cost of labor, your patent covers imports, it covers great people coming in from other countries and selling into the US, you can still stop them. So if you're 
if you're what you're trying to protect is manufacturing or doing it in a lower cost of labor, if they reverse engineer in China and they sell it and you don't care, I wouldn't worry about it. Now, if on the other hand, if you're operating in a country that no, you have a big customer base and you don't have a patent, yeah, they can reverse engineer it. They can figure it out. Kind of like the magic trick. It's always easier to figure out once you know, once you know how to do the magic trick, it's always easier to do it yourself. Once you right. can see the product, you can reverse engineer. It's a lot easier to figure it out. And so, yeah, if you're in a country that you do have a lot of customer base, you don't have a patent, somebody else reverse engineers. Now you get to compete with them on the open marketplace. You don't have any exclusivity and you've just given them a considerable edge because they don't have all the time, money, and effort and research and development that went into it. Wow. Another good reason to engage an attorney. (laughs) I'll keep adding on there now. It's probably some self-licenses, but I at least trying to infuse in there with, I have been there, done it, done my own businesses. Very first patent I filed was for that wearables uh, wearables company. I did it as a law clerk. I was I could do it because I was you know doing it as myself as a, a but I, very first patent I filed was as a law clerk for my own business. So I not only am telling people to get a patent, I get patents and trademarks on all of my businesses because it infuses a lot of value. Excellent, very cool. All right, so where did you get the courage to decide to go out on your own and not be a, an electrical engineer for some big you know, Boeing or, or some big company like that, where did you get the courage? You know, it's always hard to pinpoint courage <laughs> or it's always hard. You know, it's always, you always watch the movie or the T or read the book or the TV show. And it's like this one day I just woke up and I knew that I was going to be, I, or I was going to start my own business. I had the dream and I knew it. And at least for me and everybody else I know, it's not that it's always a, I think a slower process. So I came out of law school and I had the one startup I was going, but as a full-time job to pay the bills, um, I did, I worked for other firms. And so it wasn't like I came out of law school and said, Hey, I'm going to be a startup and I'm going to do it now. I was doing startups and I always say a startup or a startup or side hustle is really a second full-time job, which is basically what it turned into. The mm-hmm. second job just didn't pay me anything for a while. Um, but you know, when I got the courage to start, it was really I got to a point, I came out knowing I wanted to do my own firm, want to do my own business, but I also wasn't in denial to say, hey, I don't have a lot of the experience I need to really probably be successful, especially in the legal field. Bill, I wanted to get some good experience. What are good practices? How should I go about doing it? What are the things that I, you know, what should I be doing? What knowledge should I have? Wanted to have a mentor. So I went and worked out or worked for another or a couple other law firms for about six, six and a half years. But that was kind of when I got to the point of saying, okay, it feels like I've got far, I had kind of a couple of things hit me. One was it feels like I had enough experience to where I could go and do it on my own and I'd feel comfortable. I'd done it enough times for other clients. I'd had mentors, I'd ask questions. It's not like I knew everything, but I felt like I'd reached that point. The other thing that I kind of got to was I'd had enough of the, I felt like I was always splitting my attention. It was like, okay, during the day, I have to do my legal job. During the night, I have to, or I'm doing my other startups. But it felt like I'm like, I feel like if I were to be able to mesh those, put those together, and one week I may focus more on the one business, another week I may focus more on the law practice, gives me, or one hour and the other hour, it gives me more flexibility. And I couldn't really do that working for someone else. So I kind of had those two points where one, I felt like I had enough experience. Um, two, I felt like I could, um, I wanted to start to meld the things I was doing as kind of a, overall uh, concerted effort as opposed to kind of in silos. And so with that, it was probably about six, six and a half years of my career that I kind of felt like I'd reached those two points. And that's where I decided, hey, I can do this. I have enough confidence. I have enough you know, ability. I've, I've done this enough on the side hustles that let's go ahead and do it. And so started my own firm and uh, been doing it ever since. Nice. But then what about the your startup businesses? That can be scary for a lot of people. 
you know, they have these great ideas, but they think, you know what, I just, I don't know if it'll work. I'll lose all my money. You know, my friends and family will walk away, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which we've seen happen. Yep. Where did, how did you find the courage to, to do that, to take that idea and run with it? Yeah, I mean, so one thing, and I'll answer your question, but one thing that I, at least in my experience is a lot of times there's easier ways to start out a business or start out an idea that don't require you to just abandon everything you're doing, put everything on the line and get going out. Some businesses, the rare exception, probably are that case. But most of them, there is a way to get started earlier on while you're still having that comfortable situation now. Don't get too comfortable because then you'll never leave. And that's that's a whole different discussion. But I think that, you know, so for me, and I think for a lot of other businesses, it was for, hey, I started, when I started out my law firm, I was doing it on the side of doing other legal work. And so I had, when I started out, I was developing my own clientele. I was having clients that I thought would follow me when I started my own firm. I was getting a website built. I was doing a ton of content creation. I was getting the systems in place. I knew what who my paralegal would be. And so I did a lot of the work ahead of time. So that when I made that jump, it wasn't like scary. I'll make the leap of faith and hope that there's something there. And I have no idea if anybody's going to catch me. It was more of, hey, I've done a lot of the work that I feel confident that when I make this jump, it's still scary. I don't mm -hmm. think you ever get rid of that scary feeling. And I've been doing this for three and a half years in my own companies. Oh, even more than that, but just the law firm for three and a half years and other companies. Every time, every month, you're still scared that you're not, your clients are going to go away. They're not going to be able to make payroll. That things are going to dry up, that it's going to be a good run. And now you're going to have to go find a normal job. And do you want to go back to a normal job? And all of those worries, I don't think that ever fully goes away. But I think it's one where if you do a lot of the work ahead of time and you look to see how you can minimize that risk, when you make that leap, while it's still scary, you have a much lighter, higher likelihood of success, which, make, which gives you a lot more confidence to do it. Yeah. Yeah, don't just jump off the cliff without looking over the cliff first. Exactly. <laughs> seeing, seeing what's on the other side. Absolutely. So how many folks do you have working for you now at the law firm? Do you have, you said mentioned paralegal? Yeah, so I have myself, a couple attorneys, paralegal, some support staff, um, and a couple of counsel attorneys. And so about eight people that are kind of staff or part of the work. And then I also leverage some um independent contractors that do an awesome job and I love them. And it's a way for me, you know, as we ramp up, as we ramp down, as we have a, a heavier month, as a, we have a slower month, it's a way that we can kind of or study that out without having to bring someone on. So we have about nice. a couple or a couple of independent contractors and about eight people with the firm. Nice. So if I was to run into any one of these folks, bump into them on the road and ask them what kind of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I'm probably, if I were to give the self-honest answer, if they didn't have to worry about any, me ever hearing about it or any <laughs> negative repercussions, which I don't think they would, um, you know, they probably say I'm a bit of a micromanager. I, but I'm also passionate. I'm, I'm creative. I love to do it. I, I love what I'm doing. I'm always coming up with new ideas. Some of them are crazy and really stupid, but others are really great. Um, but they would, it'd probably be a mixture of both. So I, I'm not, you know, in a denial enough to say they wouldn't have any negative things to say about it. I think that as a, typical entrepreneur, startup, small business, it is always hard to not micromanage a bit. It's always hard because you know you can do it. You know you want it done a certain way. You know you can do it. And if you let someone else do it, you have to give them rope. Now, I've been working on that. I think I've gotten considerably better as I continue to bring people on and do that. But it is hard. So I, I think that that's what they would say. But I think they'd also say, love what I do, passionate, driven, um, look out for others, looking if people have a, a problem that they're trying to solve, whether it's personal problem or work problem, always there to help them to problem solve. I just don't leave them out on a boat. Um, so it's probably a mixture of a few different things. Very cool. So what's next for you? 
we've got this great firm going on. You've got more energy than, you know, anybody I know. Uh, what's next? What's next from here? Seems like it should be a simple question. No, I mean, um, what's next? You know, so I would, I got a few things that I'm, I'm excited about. One is, I'm as I mentioned, we're always looking, I, I'm always looking, if I'm solving a problem for myself, I'm looking to roll out, a, or I'm looking to see if there's an opportunity that I can, if I'm doing 90% of the work to solve the problem, then why not use that other 10% to help other people solve the same problem? So um, we've got a, a couple of things that we're rolling out. We we are rolling out a couple legal related services. I mentioned the DIY legal services, white label, helping other law firms. I think that's a big one. It's, it's a really exciting one, really allowing other law firms to compete because everybody knows there's a legal zoom out there and rocket lawyer, but nobody ever yeah. talks about the legal industry. We all just <laughs> kind of ignore it. So looking to solve that and provide that as a, an option for law firms. That's one of the things that I'm excited about. The other thing is a bit more internal to Miller IP law itself. So I am a huge lover of automation when automation is done right now. Nice. Where I hate automation is when I call up customer service and I have to dial five different numbers, go through different, <laughs> get transferred five times, get told I'm, and then finally talk to a human being only to be told that it's the wrong person and they have to go through the whole thing again. That is a terrible automation. But I think where where I'm excited with the, with the law of practice is I think if automation is done right, it frees up your time to give more time to your customers and to your clients. In other words, if I'm looking and saying, hey, we're doing this on a routine basis, it has to be done, but it doesn't need to be done by a person or we can do this in an automated fashion where it reduces the amount of time. I just freed up my all this other time that I can work with clients. I can spend more time with them. I can do one-on-one strategy means and all of that. And so we're looking to, we've when I started the firm, we had one an initial automated system. It was kind of all thrown together as we had different ideas and kind of it was kind of meshed together, but it was all kind of created as we went along. Always used to joke it was we were building the airplane as it was taking off. Right. So now we're going kind of rev two of that, where we've really said now we've figured out a lot of these, what works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like. And we're doing rev two of that, which really I think is going to be an awesome system. It solves a lot of, I don't know, problems, but it makes us a lot more efficient, gives us a lot more benefits how everything from how we do billing to how we do the signing out work to how we follow up with clients to how we manage them to how we help to provide additional services. It's, it's one that I can't get into as much of the back end, but it's a, it's a, it's one thing that probably gets me excited more than anything else. I'm an automation geek to begin with, but it's really one where now we've had a chance to revisit it and rebuild it and make it a ton better. Very cool. Good job. All right, Devin, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? What's your, what's your website? Yeah. So I'll give you two websites. If they want to do the one-on-one strategy meeting, talk with me, link right to my calendar. They can go to strategymeeting.com. That is that you can schedule a time, links right to my calendar, grab 15 minutes. We'll talk to you a little bit about your business, strategize, see what's going on. That's an easy way. So strategymeeting.com one-on-one. If now, if they just want to find out a bit more about the law firm, kind of what our fee or flat fees are, we have a ton of content. We have video for people like video. We have written for people like written. We have audio for people like audio. We hit it across the board. Nice. We have a ton of content, so you can figure out what we cut, what we charge, learn more about us, learn a ton. They can go to Law with Miller, all one word, lawwithmiller.com. So website in general, find out more about us, lawwithmiller.com. Schedule one-on-one uh, meeting with me. Go to strategymeeting.com. Perfect. Good job. And man, I really wish you'd cheer up a little bit because... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, this has been awesome. You've got so much energy. I can't even stand it. This is great. Very cool. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing everything with folks. I hope they do reach out to you and uh, see what you've got going on because uh, 
I think it's very cool. Very cool. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I always love to talk startup small businesses, love the law, love the love the uh, legal field and every anything else. So it was a pleasure to be on. I appreciate you having me. Awesome. No, it's been great. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. Uh, a lot of good takeaways from this and definitely reach out uh, to Devin and his group and uh, learn all you can and engage them early, not too late, right? Um, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. Mm-hmm.